Aggression in autistic children is often the most reported challenge by parents. Today, we will dive into our experiences with aggression and violent outbursts, illustrate how we decode the reason behind them, and explain how we have both succeeded and failed in addressing these behaviors. Welcome to Embracing Autism, a podcast for parents of autistic children seeking advice and support while spreading awareness and acceptance of autism spectrum disorder. I'm Leah. And I'm Matt. And each week we will discuss our journey with autism and talk about how to embrace your child's individuality while providing guidance, tips, resources, and sharing our personal stories. This is Embracing Embracing Autism. Autism. So uh, this is a throwback to last week's episode. (laughs) We had to wait for you to heal before we could actually address the concerns. You are mostly healed, right? Mostly on the outside, on the inside, (laughs) still a wounded bird. Yes, the emotional will take longer to. Yes. So, for those of you listening, um, you cannot see now, but my eye is fully healed. I was the victim of some quite aggressive behavior from my eldest child that resulted in a black eye. I was basically healing over the week. It was pretty bad. It got pretty swollen. It was nasty. Initially, I, I wasn't sure exactly what was wrong with it or if I or if I would have to go to like urgent care because of how bad it was initially. But I decided to just like ice it, heat it, just wait, take some painkillers. And eventually it went down and cleared out, and now it's it looks perfectly normal, I think. But it kind of sparked the idea of talking about aggression in autistic children because this is something that I've seen quite a lot in online communities with parents of autistic children, especially as these kids get older and especially as they tend to be males who hit puberty. And there's moms who are maybe smaller like me, I'm four foot 11, that as your child grows and becomes taller and bigger than you, which will be the case with my eldest daughter, I am sure of that, you start to become more victimized in the sense that you can't really defend yourself fully against a child who ultimately ends up being stronger and bigger than you with impulse control issues. So we decided to talk about that today. And uh, Matt was the uh, witness. Were you the witness? You weren't there, were no. you? You were in the other room, weren't you? I heard I heard the sound of like a hard thud. And then I heard you moan and be like, oh, and then that was enough to be <laughs> like, that's not a normal sound and response. So yeah, me being an investigator, I was like, something is off and something is different. So that's where I found you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I was in the other room and basically what happened is I was sitting down with her and we were doing, well, she was doing this puzzle. She's really into geography right now, especially with the United States, the continents, all that stuff. She's memorized like all the states. She's memorizing capitals. She's really, really, really into geography. We got her this wooden puzzle, and it's it's a hard wooden puzzle, and all the pieces of the puzzle are wooden pieces. And she tends to have meltdowns when it comes to either transitions or when she doesn't quite understand what's being asked and thinks it's a demand. She has pathological demand avoidance issues, too. So if something comes off as like a demand that either is intentional or unintentional, she takes it really personal and can get violent because of that. As I was looking at this puzzle because she put it together for me, 
I was like, oh, hey, can I see that? Oh, that's so beautiful. And because I reached over for it to kind of look at it and praise her, she got really offended that I was touching her special interest item and yanked it out of my hand. And as she did that, the corner of the wooden puzzle smacked me straight in the eyeball and it basically sliced my eyelid. Luckily, my eyelid was shut at the time. And so it sliced my eyelid instead of my eyeball, but it was like really, really close. So that's why my whole eyelid swelled up and it was just a hot mess. <laughs> well, based on the sound, like it, it wasn't, it must have hit, I mean, something hard. It was almost like the wood puzzle smacking like a wall or something. There was definitely like a hard thud for it. And that's why I was surprised like when you had gotten cut because it sounded like she would have like smacked you like right in the face or something. But Well, it also did hit like the bone around my eye, which is why I had that big red mark around there for a while. And it, right. it resulted in basically not just the swollen eye. I had a gash on my eyelid, but I also had headaches for several days because of that. So it was it was a pretty significant injury. Anyone else probably would have gone to urgent care, but I'm just, I have high pain tolerance and I figure I'll take care of it myself. I was to say, Anna gave us a chance to play the ice and hot game where you're like <laughs> swapping like different <laughs> temperatures. All I can think of is the Katy Perry song now. You're uh, hot and you're yeah. cold. <laughs> that's true. That was Leah last week. This is something that's kind of considered taboo in the autism community. And it's also a topic that people who kind of want to demedicalize autism essentially tend to say shouldn't really be considered an issue. Some people who kind of disagree with the medical model of autism don't seem to realize that there are significant issues with those who are on the more moderate to severe side of the spectrum. So for those who don't really agree in like the labels, I, I kind of depends on exactly what the person's saying on where I, I stand. For me, the labels aren't helpful, but I'm not like adamantly opposed or for. I just don't find them super helpful. I will use them. I'm okay not using them. I'm kind of in the middle when it comes to that. But in these cases, it is kind of important to be able to, in a sense, label what we're dealing with because somebody who is on the higher end functioning who doesn't have the violent tendencies wouldn't react necessarily the same way as somebody who's on the lower end and does have those violent tendencies. This is something that society is grossly underprepared for. There's just not a lot of social supports for parents who are in these situations. I've read news articles of a mother, for instance, in, in this state who had a child who was older, probably like 21 or so. They were like level three autistic, very severe, and they had violent, aggressive outbursts. And because of that, they actually injured her severely to the point where she had broken bones because she was now aging. So as you age, you become more brittle. And that's what was happening. And it wasn't intentional. He wasn't being malicious. He wasn't trying to go after her or anything. But it was just like a standard autistic meltdown where they kind of lose control. There was no support for this woman. She was unable to really do anything. And so she was like desperately going on the news trying to see if she could get support because there is no like health program that will take care of this. There's nowhere to put her child for like in-house support or in-clinic support. There's just really like no resources. So this is something that the community is currently really struggling with and things that parents have to think about as they age and get older and are thinking about what am I going to do as my child gets older as well. 
This isn't necessarily something that is spoken about as often as like other topics with autism. We always hear like the conversations of, oh, we have to set up for like the therapies, like making sure that therapy needs are met and that focus. I don't really hear necessarily like a lot of talk as far as like more like the aggression thing. So usually it'll pop up like in some of my dad's groups, it'll be like, oh, my son or daughter broke our TV. Is there any recommendations? And then you kind of see people kind of coming out of the woodwork. Oh yeah, I can relate to that. This happened to me make sure you purchase this and do this, this, this. So, I mean, it does get some recognition, but it's only when someone kind of like reaches out and says like, oh, I just like discovered that I'm having trouble with this. Everyone who has a child who has any type of like violence or not necessarily violence, but aggression, I guess, will kind of come out of the woodwork and like give support or like recommendations. But it's not something that seems to be spoken of as freely. And I'm not necessarily sure why, if it's just kind of like a taboo-ish topic within the autism group itself. It seems like it's a pretty tight-knit group where the parents will kind of help out each other for needs and such and provide support. But that seems like the one area where someone has to directly ask for it and then people will kind of chime in rather than it being more just common conversation, I guess. Yeah, I I absolutely think it has to do with the fact that it is a taboo topic. People tend to make assumptions when it comes to seeing a child who's being violent, especially if it's a younger child. When it's older, those assumptions kind of change. But when you see like a four or five-year-old violently attacking somebody, they automatically jump to, that's bad parenting. How could that parent allow that to happen? No one really understands why autistic children have these aggressive behaviors, meaning the public, people who aren't familiar with autism don't really understand that. So it's not something that is commonly known, and that often leads to negative stereotypes of both the child and the parent and taboo. This is something that's been kind of at the forefront, particularly this last week as we've had these incidences. But there's a couple of things that we have noticed. We've been able to do some pattern recognition when it comes to our kid. And typically what I recommend for these situations is the same thing that we kind of recommend with everything else that's behavioral, which is really trying to observe your child's behavior and see if you can find trends and patterns. So what we noticed with our eldest, for instance, is her aggression really tends to skyrocket when she's like either really hungry or really tired. And because she has poor interoception, she doesn't realize she's really hungry or tired. And she doesn't vocalize or really tell us that she's hungry or tired. She just gets aggressive. And when she gets aggressive, we have now seen that pattern enough to know Mm, maybe we should feed her. Mm, Maybe she needs a nap. And that's something that we've kind of used to try to understand whether or not that is the thing that is causing that behavior at that time. Now that we're kind of in the South, she overheats very quickly. So we have to make sure like she gets shade frequently. She always has like enough to drink because we've also noticed that sometimes she'll get really upset. And then we give her like a cold drink or something and get her in obviously like a shade environment. And then we notice as she's drinking her drink, we can almost see it like immediately. She just kind of calms down as she kind of cools down. So I think it's just like the body regulating a little bit. She's getting very hot and it's making her uncomfortable. She might not necessarily know why she feels that way, but it's kind of irritating her in a sense because, I mean, you think about, I mean, if I'm in a hot situation, I don't have anything to drink. I'm probably not the most happy person to be around. So I get it. I can, I can relate to that one. And same thing with being hungry. I always think about like the Snickers commercial where it's like, oh, you should have had a Snickers. Like when someone's like super like upset, (laughs) but unfortunately, like she probably wouldn't even eat a Snickers because the texture. 
you're a weird little man. <laughs> I'm just thinking. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, that's no, whole, a Snickers definitely wouldn't, wouldn't <laughs> fix the situation. She'd probably get madder and throw it at us. Probably. That's the key, though, that we've noticed for her specifically. We're noticing a pattern of it tends to be more external factors. Like it tends to be more interoceptive for her, meaning there's something physically wrong with her body and she doesn't know what it is, whether it's I have to use the restroom, but I don't understand that I have to. Sometimes, you know, like if you have to go, you get like cramping sensations and stuff and she doesn't quite understand that means I have to go. So something like that or overheating or even the sun being too bright. She is really sensitive to sunlight. We have to basically cover her head with like a towel or sunglasses or a sun hat or she gets really like upset. So things like that can be a trigger for her too. So it's either interceptive or sensory, but we have definitely noticed that behavior with her. What we have noticed with our youngest and what could also potentially be a trigger for the aggressive behavior in autistic children is also that communication piece. For our youngest, She struggles with communication. Oftentimes what happens is as she's trying to communicate something and is not quite able to do so, she will experience a lot of anxiety during that time. And when she experiences that anxiety, it can kind of spiral and turn into a meltdown, aggressive type situation, not nearly as bad as her older sister. She's got, I would say, a lot more challenge with that. But The youngest one, when she does get aggressive, it's usually related to a communication challenge. And I've had a few instances where like the youngest one, when she'll be upset with something and I will like pick her up trying to like comfort her or like kind of calm her down and she'll like lose her ability to speak. So she'll kind of be like kind of like whining and making sounds, but she'll also be like kind of like scratching. So like I'll get like scratches on my like neck, depending on like how she's lying or whatever. I'll get like scratches on like my shoulders and things. So in a way that I guess that is kind of like her aggression like she's much smaller and she hasn't really thrown anything or like tried to use like any tools or something like the oldest with the puzzle for example well she'll use tools but usually it's to try to do something like not to us she'll just get frustrated and take the tool and try to solve the thing by herself Right. But I think with her frustration is usually like she kind of like locks up and shakes or kind of like it's like frustrated and kind of like stands in one spot. But I mean, we definitely do have like I've been scratched a handful of times when she's kind of in an upset uh, situation. She's not able to kind of express what her needs are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely a hard one because, I mean, going back to our oldest and trying to make sure that she is like regulated with what she needs if she's too hot, getting her cool or getting her a drink, because most of the time when we are aware of what needs to take place to make her feel more comfortable, she kind of pushes against it a little bit. If she's upset because she's overheating and we get her into a shade area, we might be telling her like, oh, here, make sure to drink your ice water, ice lemonade, and it will cool you down. And she'll be saying like, no, I don't want it. I don't want it. And then eventually she'll realize like, oh, maybe I am a little bit thirsty. And then she'll drink it. And then it's like a switch. I mean, it makes all the difference in the world. So I think once we get past that initial like communication barrier where she realizes that we're trying to help her and we're giving her tools to basically make her feel better, then it makes a huge difference. So it's just a challenge trying to get through that one barrier, I would say, on my end. Yeah, I think there's two main challenges with that. One of them is trying to get through to her that we're trying to help her. Essentially, there's like a two-parter to that. Where is it that she doesn't understand that we're trying to? Or is it that she is too far into her meltdown to process it? The key has really been trying to get 
through to her before that meltdown really spikes. So usually when there's a meltdown situation, at least for us, um, our kids, there's a pretty visible uptick where you're kind of going up that ramp up the roller coaster. Then there's like the peak and then there's like the drop down where things start to kind of settle afterwards. So our goal is to try to reach her and get through to her as she's on that uptick before she gets to the peak. If we can intercept that process at that point in time, we're pretty successful in being able to get her back down. So when it comes to these like aggressive behaviors, we only ever see them after she's reached that peak. Our goal is always to see if we can figure out what is triggering that response before she gets to that peak. And we have been able to take a look at a lot of patterns like the weather outside or whether it's a loud noise or whether it's like a very difficult task because she's a super perfectionist. So we know in advance if there's a task that she struggles with, like handwriting, we know it's meltdown territory. So we know to kind of be prepared and kind of treat her with like kid gloves at that time to kind of ease her through that because we can anticipate that if we don't, that could potentially lead to a meltdown. So having those sorts of supports and system, being really observant of that sort of pattern, that's what we've done to help mitigate these situations. And overall, we've been fairly successful. I say in terms of her meltdowns, we've probably improved them like 80% now that I know how to help her co-regulate and everything, now that we know what a lot of her triggers are. But there's moments like when my eye was busted that I can't really prevent because it's too sudden and too quick. There's moments where the meltdown is not a full meltdown and it's just like a burst of an aggressive behavior. And it's almost like she doesn't quite have control of that. Autism is often related with emotional dysregulation because that prefrontal cortex part of your brain is kind of dysregulated. It's also common in like ADHD, executive dysfunction. That's kind of like a side effect. And so it is possible, probable, and likely that your child could also have an aggressive behavior that is sudden and just comes and goes without ramping up. Usually when that's the case, it doesn't last as long. So like a real full-blown meltdown, you know, takes the time to ramp up, lasts a little while, and then it has to come down. These sudden bursts don't tend to last as long, but they can be explosive, they can be aggressive, they can be dangerous. And that's what happened in that situation. Those are a little tougher because they're hard to predict. You don't really know what's going to happen. And so in those situations, it's really how you handle it. So after that happened, I did not freak out on her. I did not scream. I did not yell. I didn't make a big fuss. I basically was like, ah, (laughs) and clenched my eye and then kind of just took deep breaths, tried to stay calm. I tried to basically just talk like I normally did as I was like going through the pain and try to process my next steps. I wanted to basically make her very aware that she had hurt me, but not yell at her. So I was like making her aware, hey, you hurt me. Look, my eye is swollen. I'm hurt. When I was getting like an ice pack, I was showing her I have to put ice because it hurts. And I was like trying to walk her through the process of understanding that, hey, when you threw this puzzle, it hit me in the eye and it hurt me. And I showed her my eye. I told her and explained to her the pain because I wanted to create an association with her. And she instantly, you could tell she instantly felt bad. Like she instantly regretted it. And she was trying to kind of make up for it in her own way, which 
to her, she she doesn't really fully empathize. But what she does that I know when she feels bad is she starts to sit closer to me. So she started like leaning up against me. She wasn't saying anything, but she was staying in my general vicinity. And that's how I knew that I was able to kind of effectively communicate to her the gravity of basically what her behavior had resulted in. During that situation, I think she was aware that something she did hurt you, but I don't really think she was able to link the puzzle being hard, like a hard surface and hitting you in the face with it during that instant. I don't think she's able to link those two together. She was aware that something happened with the puzzle and that you were hurt afterwards. I don't, I don't know if she necessarily understood as far as like the puzzle is hard. And if you hit someone with something hard that hurts, but yeah, she definitely did show concern. Cause I think at some point she was even trying to bring you like ice and like the little ice pack thing. So, I mean, she was aware that you were hurt and that something happened that she had been a part of, but yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's hard for, those split second reactions to get the upper hand in them all you can really do is almost like talk through it prior to it even happening well honestly once it's already happened you're so focused on the searing pain that you're in that all you're really thinking about is like i need to just keep my cool and that's really what i was focusing on like once you're in that situation where the violence is happening or has happened like you just need to just at that moment, focus on that whole self-soothing part and just think about what you're going to say next. Think about how you're going to act next and how that could ultimately impact your child. And really just try to be cognizant of those next few words that you say or do. Well, I was thinking more so like, okay, the next time that she has a puzzle, for instance, that she completed and she's trying to show you, we might say like, okay, I'm going to look at it. I'm not going to take it away or just kind of like talk through our actions essentially. So she doesn't feel like we're taking something away from her. So I think almost like thinking out loud, if that makes sense, I'm not sure if that would make any difference in the future, but at least she she might be able to hear, okay, you're not taking it away from me. You're just trying to look at what I've created essentially. And maybe if we get lucky, it might have some impact, but I mean, obviously it's still, I mean, a work in progress, like many of the other things. I think the key thing obviously is to recognize the pattern for the meltdown situation, because if you do go into full-blown meltdown, then I feel like there is a potentially greater chance of an injury or like a younger sibling getting hurt or something along those lines. There's been times where the two girls will kind of be getting upset with each other. And then we kind of see the oldest getting near meltdown territory. And we kind of have to separate them because we realize if the oldest kind of gets in a meltdown mode, the younger one might not realize, and then she might get hurt as a result of that. So it's always trying to pay attention to what's happening and trying to make the escalation for the meltdown kind of plateau and then try and drop it down as best you can. I think that's kind of like what we've been mostly focused on. I'd say overall, I think we've done a pretty decent job. There aren't too many outbursts or meltdowns that we're able to at least control. I mean, there's always circumstances that are outside of our control and we just kind of have to roll with those because we can't change the world just for our kids. We have to kind of accept what we can change and as best modify what situations we're in. Yeah, I think as parents, we have to accept a certain level of failure. There's never going to be perfection. We're never going to be able to fully eradicate negative behaviors. It doesn't matter how much therapy you do. Like, our children are still human. (laughs) And like, I mean, have we eradicated all of our own negative traits and behaviors as adults or like even those who I know we're not neurotypical, but 
Most of them, yes. <laughs> Even people who are neurotypical, I guarantee you, they have not been able to eradicate all of their negative and aggressive assertive behaviors. We just learn to control them. We learn to understand when those behaviors are appropriate, when they're not appropriate, how to essentially funnel them into more helpful situations or guidance. That's what our goal is as parents, is to try to not eliminate the behavior necessarily, but maybe help them funnel it into a healthier way. With older kids, one of the things that I've recommended before is like that big life journal that I think is really cool. That's more of like a self-reflective thing. And that's something that would require your kid to be more cognitively aware because it, it requires kind of self-reflection. But for the kiddos that aren't there, you can do more physical biofeedback type of exercises. So like the deep breathing exercises. With our eldest child, when she's getting up that roller coaster, I immediately start doing the breathing exercises with her and slowly counting backwards and things like that to try to get her level down, have her be more aware of her heart rate, have her be more aware of what she's feeling at the time. And I'll ask her, how are you feeling? What what emotions are you feeling? And then if she doesn't know, I give her visual examples. I've got these little hearts on the wall and each heart has a different emotion on it. And I try to have her point to which one she's feeling to. So there are different ways that you can do it, even if your child's nonverbal, even if your child is not super cognitively high functioning. There's other ways that you can do it to more simplified version. And there's a show that we have our kids watch called Slumberkins. And Slumberkins is a great show when it comes to social and emotional development. It's on Apple TV. It basically follows these like puppet animals and each one struggles through different social emotional behaviors or tendencies. And in those episodes, they learn self-reflection. They learn how to address the problem they're going through, address the behavior they're displaying and what to do in order to fix that situation. That has helped our kid a lot because she loves Slumberkins and she has been using that to self-reflect. So we've been able to use TV shows and stories like Slumberkin to give her a guidance on what to do for those situations. Using tools like that is also quite helpful. So if your child has any sort of special interest or even if they don't, you can introduce them to something like Slumberkins or Daniel Tiger, just depending on their age, and just use that as a tool to show them like, okay, see, it's okay to have these feelings, but how we act on those feelings is what we need to learn to control. And these are the tools on how to do that. And another reason why I think it's good is because it seems like she's able to see these characters in the show. She's able to use what they do as a model and apply it to her real life when she's going through those situations. So like in the show, they'll have one of the characters be sad. And then she realizes the next time that she's sad, we remind her, oh, like what, what do they do in Slumberkins when they're sad? And then she's able to think back to, oh, okay, what did the character do when they were sad or mad or whatever the different emotions that they're working through? It's nice because I think one, she's excited that she gets to act out what the characters actually did in the show because it applies to her actual everyday life. And the other thing is because she's actually learning how to work through these emotions a little bit. I think she is seeing a positive reaction or kind of feedback as she's kind of working through some of these emotions that she hadn't 
ordinarily given much thought or realize how to kind of work through them in the first place. So I think it is beneficial when you are able to find something that is able to set a model for them to use in real life. And then you can kind of remind them and kind of almost role play with them as if you were in that character situation. So, I mean, I think it is definitely beneficial. I mean, we try and use it as much as we can because it's kind of like a little cheat sheet of getting her to realize like, oh, you're going to pretend to be this character. And then she kind of like follows through. Overall, we basically have learned a lot, but we're still continuing to learn and we're still trying to figure out what works best for her, what her triggers are. We've seen a lot of growth from her and our youngest as well. I think that there's still growth to be made, but we don't have any unrealistic expectations. I think it would be unrealistic to expect that our kids would never show any sorts of aggressive behaviors because even neurotypical people do. So that is not the goal. The goal is really to give them the tools that they need to be able to handle those big emotions when those times come. Before we wrap up the episode, I also wanted to just quickly mention that this weekend, June 18th, we will be celebrating our second year anniversary of the podcast. That is Autistic Pride Day. We're super excited. We hit over 71,000 listeners now, right in time for that. And so that was really cool to be able to hit 70,000 right before Autistic Pride Day or our anniversary. The funny thing is it also falls on our actual wedding anniversary or the week of because our wedding anniversary was just two days ago. So a very cool week for us. (laughs) But with that said, we wanted to start thinking about some cool things that we could do for you guys, a community we could potentially build for you. And we wanted to get some feedback from our listeners. So if you are interested, we are bouncing around the idea of creating a private community for everyone. It would be a community that Matt and I are heavily involved in, and there'd be a bunch of additional perks and access to us. And we wanted to get your feedback to see if this is something that you guys would be interested in. And if so, what sort of things would you like for us to include? We're thinking about making a Patreon to help us support this since we have realized how a small ripple in our personal lives can have such a huge impact on our work at Autism Wish and with the Embracing Autism podcast. We want to kind of shield against that so that we can continue to do this long term. We're thinking about creating a private community and Patreon But we want to get your thoughts on what you value, whether that's time with us, an after show, whether it's live AMAs, whether it's just having access to other parents in a private, safe setting. What is it that you would be interested in? Let us know on youtube.com slash at Autism Wish on the comments of this video or any video, really. And if you want to give your comments in private, you can always email us at podcast at autismwish.org and we will reply to you privately. But yeah, keep an eye out out because we will be talking more about that. That's something that we've been working on and we're really excited to push forward. We'll get back with more details as they become available and we look forward to your comments. So that's all that we have for today. If you like what you hear, please consider supporting us on Cash App at Autism Wish or Venmo at Autism Wish. Your donation is going to help us keep doing what we're doing. Hopefully, if we can get the Patreon going, we won't even have to do that anymore. And we can just get a Patreon and give you guys a bunch of cool perks in response and have more of that community vibe. Thanks a lot for listening. And we'll catch you all next week. Bye. Bye. This has been the audio from the Embracing Autism podcast live stream series. Please check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash at Autism Wish to catch these shows live. Otherwise, stick around next week for our next episode. This is Embracing Autism.